Hello, I'm Jason Solomons, and welcome to the 43rd edition of Seen Any Good Films Lately. With cinemas back in action and back in business, it's time to go to an actual film festival. I love the fact that it's such an intelligent theatrical way of, of cinema, and it's so economical and so fun. My guest on this episode is one of Europe's most respected film festival directors, Cynthia Gilles, in charge now of Sheffield Docfest, one of the world's most anticipated documentary festivals and the launchpad for so many films that go on to theatrical and award success. It's a test case this year for physical film festivals and Cynthia Gilles will be telling us what to expect as well as facing the famous sagful questions about her life in cinema. We'll hear from Cynthia and more on one of the films of the year right after I tell you if I've seen any good films lately. The box office results from cinemas have been very encouraging if the survival of such things interests you, as I think it should. Peter Rabbit 2, Cruella and The Conjuring have all brought in healthy to impressive numbers, with The Rabbit nearly 8 million uh, in box office at the time of talking to you, which is on June the 3rd, 2021. Cruella has raked in over 2 million and The Conjuring has magicked up nearly 3 million. Well, watch out for A Quiet Place Part 2 to storm to the top of the charts. I reviewed it a couple of episodes ago and I think it's the perfect film for a reasonably grown-up return to the cinemas and, whisper it, I predict it'll be the big hit of the summer. Also highly recommended is After Love, a debut by Aleem Khan. It's the story of Mary, uh, a woman who lives in Dover and has converted to Islam for her husband, Ahmed, but who goes on a journey to Calais on the ferry that he used to drive and pilot when she discovers something curious about him after his sudden death. And she reveals a secret lurking just 21 miles away over the sea. So on that journey, Mary, who's played by the remarkable Joanna Scanlon, turns back and she looks at the white cliffs only to spot a landslide. And she realises that the foundations of her life are crumbling. It's a very powerful image. So I talked to Alim Khan about making the film and I wondered how personal a story it was. I mean, the film is kind of semi-autobiographic. It's not its not my parents' story per se. I mean, I don't have siblings in France and, you know, my dad's still alive. So it, it definitely jumps off into a very kind of uh, fictitious world. But I think the essence and the themes that the film is really exploring is very close to home. And there is a lot of really kind of very specific stuff that's very close to home. I lost my sister. My parents obviously lost um, oh, I'm sorry. their daughter that. when she was six months old and I was a baby at the time. So I think writing this film was interesting because the experience of losing my sister, I don't really remember any of it. It wasn't a secret in that sense at all. I mean, actually growing, the opposite. I mean, growing up, we always talked about my sister and I always felt like there was someone missing. I always felt like I was carrying this kind of shadow of, of someone that should have been there, but not. And so it was never hidden, but it was something that I don't remember because I was only five. So it's just weird how you have this kind of sense memory, but you don't really know what- What was her name? Sharina. So is the film dedicated to her in some way? No, I wouldn't say it's dedicated to her. And the film isn't specifically about that trauma. That aspect in the story is definitely something that kind of uh, revealed itself to me in the writing process that, you know, I was, I guess, 
in, in addition to exploring my own sense of kind of identity and feeling between two worlds, comment, a kind of a commentary on where we were as, as a world, as a country with yeah. Brexit and the refugee crisis globally, it kind of, I guess, found its way in kind of yes, a whole myriad I'm of sure. kind of things I was exploring. I'm sure it did. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I would, because it's obviously part of your DNA and part of your family's DNA. Yeah. Too. I also asked Aleem about the nature of Dover and Calais and how Brexit might have fed into the film. I mean, I, I was writing the film over five, six years, mm. so it was a long time kind of in gestation. And I mean, I was writing this at the time when the refugee camp kind of grew and exploded in, in Calais and also when Brexit was voted in. And so there was so much kind of division, so many borders kind of going up. In Europe and around the world, we saw very kind of populist kind of right wing kind of agenda kind of taking hold. And there was so much kind of, I guess, division. And I guess I wanted to make a film that expressed my own sense of feeling torn between various identities. But in, in the process of writing and in making the film, you know, I realized that it's not about choosing. It's not about choosing sides. It's about recognizing that sometimes they seemingly opposing identities are actually just layers within you, you know, like in the cliff, they're just different sediments that are kind of just built up, up and up and up and up to kind of kind of make you who you are. It's kind of, it's your skin in a way. So we spent so many summers on those cliffs and there's just something about being in those locations. I mean, what this is the thing, like I think Calais and Dover, they share such a unique kind of history. They're kind of two sisters facing one another. and. Obviously we have the war and we have all this kind of history there, but I, I've always been fascinated by this idea that they're both very um, transient uh, seaports. They're both kind of having an, um, kind of an identity crisis. They're constantly evolving. They're constantly um, being reseen and rediscovered, but they're, but they're also very, um, very specific in their own cultures. They both have their own kind of identities at the same time. So although they're so close, they're almost like different planets kind of orbiting one another. And I just, I was always really fascinated when growing up, being on the cliffs in Dover and looking out and watching these ferries kind of make their way. And you can kind of, if you sat there long enough, you could chart the whole journey of a ferry kind of going to Calais. You could kind of, you know, just keep your eye you on it. You can see it all the way there, yeah. You can kind of see it all the way there. And that's something that I found really powerful was it like another world is just a kind of 40 minute ride away and it's it's both so identifiable and so close, but so kind of other and another planet at the same time. Of course, Cali isn't just about school trips with cheap fags and noisy firecrackers and getting drunk on wine and being sick on the boat on the way home. So Aleem Khan and I discussed the very serious refugee situation and how that influenced the story. We kind of attach labels to kind of Calais or kind of ideas of what it is. And I think when you actually spend time in Calais, you realize there's so much more to it. This is the thing, what, actually what was quite wild about Calais was when I was there wrecking and when we were shooting, we would be getting off, driving off the ferry, going through the kind of port and there's just barbed wire everywhere. And you drive past the camp and you literally drive three minutes to the east and you're at the beach and everyone at the beach is white. Everyone at the beach is leisurely enjoying themselves. And I found it very uncomfortable knowing that there were people in squalor suffering, desperate 
to find a sense of home for, for security, literally two minutes away, that, yeah. you know, the other way. And that kind of dichotomy, that, that kind of, that separation within such a kind of, within minutes of each other really blew my mind. And, and I think, I think as a society, we are kind of encouraged to fear people who do not look like us or do not eat the same food or do not speak the same language. Whether you read it or not, I mean, I know that in a way when I was writing, that was constantly at the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. And I was writing it whilst I was in Calais, in the camp, you know, um, in the in the camps, in my downtime. I, you know, it, it, it kind of charged the way I looked at race, identity, yeah. nationalism. Like it, the film is kind of, this is the thing, like these ideas, these this, this discussion that we're having is kind of in the fabric of the film, but it's at a level that is not necessarily kind of overt, but it was absolutely something that charged and kind of influenced the way I thought about those those topics. After Love by Aleem Khan is very smart. It's got a great Joanna Scanlon performance in it. It's really moving and thoughtful and it's out now. Now, First Cow by Kelly Reichardt is the best reviewed film of the year so far. Many people were tipping it for Oscars. It didn't really get nominated. It's about an unlikely buddy pairing on the Oregon frontier who devise a get-rich-quick scheme to steal milk from a landowner's cow. It's the first such beast in the region. And out of this milk, they make donuts, which sell like hotcakes, because, you know, they are. Then the cow's owner, played by Toby Jones, tastes the baker's offerings, and he commands them to make a clafouti for a visiting dignitary. See, he doesn't realise he's being stolen from, and then he does. You have a cow? First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. Well, it's no place for white men either. I sense opportunity here. Good Lord, give me another. I'll give you six ingots for that last one. I taste London in this game. Look, I see what Kelly Reichardt is doing here all too obviously really it's a film about early capitalism the american dream treasure uh, the pursuit of happiness all that sort of early frontier stuff that she also covered in meek's cutoff a film which uh, variously gets praised by many many people and i thought was a bit dull this is beautifully shot it's languorously paced and it might have had me spellbound on another day but i didn't disappear into it i wasn't engrossed I kept thinking up dull questions about the plot, like, why doesn't he do this? Or why isn't he asking that? And I rarely do those sort of questions, particularly if the film's working and wrapping me up in its atmosphere. So, you know, First Cow, a film all the critics loved, apart from me, I found a bit more meh than moo. Look, it's not that I don't like slow cinema or cows. For example, there's a new film called Gunda, which is great. It's a film about a pig, a chicken and a cow all filmed in black and white on a Norwegian farm by Russian filmmaker Viktor Kozakovsky. And there's not even dialogue, except for the snorting and grunting and crowing and cooing and mooing and lowing, which, even though it was probably in Norwegian, uh, I really understood it. It's a gorgeous film, and you really see into the life of animals without any anthropomorphic Johnny Morris voiceover or Attenbergian philosophising. It's just nature, pure cinema, sound and vision, and it's brilliant. 
The main mm. interview on Seen Any Good Films lately is supported by Strike, the distilled drink with all the spirit, none of the alcohol. Perfect for extending those long summer days with a not rum and cola or a not gin and tonic or any cocktails you fancy. Just head to strike.com, that's S-T-R-Y-K-K.com, for drinks ideas and to get a 40% discount on orders by entering the voucher code JASON40. Cheers, Strike. Right, it's time to get my guest on. We're off to Sheffield, where the Sheffield Dockfest director, Cynthia Gill, is welcoming delegates for a real-life festival, showcasing the best in documentary filmmaking from around the world. And it all kicks off with one of my favourite films of the year, Summer of Soul, which is just so, so good. More of that and the cinematic life story of one of Europe's leading festival directors, Cynthia Gilles, in a minute, because I start by asking her if she was at all nervous about greeting guests and getting this festival underway. Mm, more excited than nervous, Good. actually. <laughs> Are actually people coming to Sheffield? You're going to see real people in the real flesh in the city? As extraordinary as it seems, yes. <laughs> people are coming to Sheffield, not just the people from Sheffield going to the cinema, but also a lot of UK filmmakers are coming and they're all very excited to present their films. We even have a filmmaker from the United States who's in international competition who is here already quarantining to be able to be for her film in the festival. So, yeah. Yes. That's dedication. But yeah. of course, you know, uh, I remember going to Sheffield uh, several times. It's a very exciting festival. It's a very buzzy festival. Uh, and, and I think one of the, the sort of great things to come out of Sheffield is this buzz. You know, a film that's successful at Sheffield comes out and it really is very talked about and very respected uh, on on its journey around the rest of the, the documentary world. And even further, you know, people talk about it as one of the most important festivals. So I'm really glad that you can have people there this year because it, without those, the buzz is very hard to, to sort of get going going isn't it definitely i mean it and and it's also about the the even the enthusiasm right to discover the films together so yes it's true and and not only that we are showing five films in 16 venues across the uk we will be able to kind of share a little bit that buzz and that wave of dog fests across the the country so that will be really exciting so that's one of the new things to come out that you you're, you you've combined the physical with the with the hybrid as we see now the, the sort of virtual festival so i can i can join in tell people how they can join in with the with the sheffield yes festival. you can you can join in uh through the website so basically if you are from the industry or from the press or public you will have different avenues to go and and so basically it's a platform we have a platform where you will find all the films online and you'll be able not just the films the talks the q a's there will be a lot of live streams for example the talk with mark cousins on the on the saturday the 12th is live streamed and and yeah so you can basically join the whole festival through the website so what am I going to watch then? What's uh, what are the highlights? You've got a, such a packed program. I really couldn't believe it. There's like 55 films going on. I mean, I, I, in a way, if I had come to Sheffield, I'd be spoilt for choice. I don't think I'd be able to make up my mind. We're opening with Summer of Soul, 
uh, by Armin Westlove Thompson. It's amazing. And it's, it's, it's a story that, I mean, we all know that story, but nobody knows that story because nobody has seen those images. And, and it's told in such a compelling way by the people who were there. Because that's a preview. No, no one's seen that film yet. I think it was in Sundance only. I've seen yeah. the preview yeah. here, but they told me I can't talk about it. Don't talk about it till <laughs> July. It's embargoed. And you're premiering it. So people could... Exactly. You so couldn't that... talk about it because we were... <laughs> I, I'm going to talk about it. I mean, what a perfect way to set up your set up the summer and set up your 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 documentary festival i think it's one of the great concert movies of all time it's amazing and it's so strong like you have the fun you have the resistance and the political layer you have the historical layer and it's 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 we all know about woodstock but we we haven't really got in touch with this Harlem Cultural Festival and these images. So yes, I'm I'm super happy to great to choice, and it's going to get you know the atmosphere is going to be so joyous watching. I think it's a joyous film, but as you say, you know this this contextualizing it with the social history is so important in in a film like that. That's most concert films don't have the perspective to be able to do that and I thought that's what this one does so well so that's kicking you off Friday night definitely Uh, you must all see that one I would say if you don't have much time and if you need to start somewhere yeah you have Steve McQueen's Surprising with James Rogan now this is the one about the new crossfire is that right yeah yeah which I, I hear there was a bit of it in um, very powerful bit of it in one of his small acts uh, films. I think the fourth exactly. one, there was a little bit about it. A very powerful uh, poem was read out about the new crossfire. And I thought, God, that would, I don't know enough about the new crossfire. I, I, there should be a documentary about it. And then sure enough, here it is. It's to a premiering yeah. at Sheffield, Uprising. Looking forward yeah. to it. I'm really intrigued by that. So Uprising will resonate then with a lot of things in the programme. So yeah, the festival is full of incredible stories and and places and people well, the program looks superb uh, really, really congratulations on that what Thank about you, you uh cynthia Gilles? have you seen any good films lately uh i have i mean i must confess that lately i've been working a lot and so the only good films i've seen was at home yeah with my small projector and so i've seen one film that i hadn't seen shamefully and that I loved um, by James Foley, which is called Glen Gary, Glen Ross. And it's a script by uh, David Mamet. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely brilliant with Ed Harris and uh, an incredible Jack, Jack Palance. Uh, sorry, Jack Lem, and an incredible cast. It's absolutely amazing. And I loved it. Yeah, it's uh, very fast, very, uh, you know, yeah, dialogue. yeah. But it's so, you know, I love the fact that it's, it's, it's so, it's such an intelligent theatrical way of putting, uh, of, of cinema. So it, it's all in a one, I mean, not just one, but it's like two sets, mm-hmm. the, the whole film. And it's so economical and so fun at the same time. Does it, is it, it still relevant? Al Pacino. I yeah, Al Pacino. Wow. It's yeah. amazing. Oh, uh, it's, it, I haven't seen it for a long time. And it's about uh, re- uh, real estate property, isn't it? So I imagine, yeah. I imagine it's still economically relevant to, to, to the greed that we have today. Completely. It's about this scheme that these real estate sellers have, these schemes to actually scam their, their, their clients and, try and, and actually arrive to sign a contract. And so it's, it's all about this, this uh, power move. And, and it's amazing. Jag off John, opens his mouth, blows my Cadillac. Ah, I 
swear it's not a world of men. It is not a world of men machine. World of clock watches. Bureaucrats. Office holders, what it is. Fucked up world. No adventure to it. Dying breed. Yes, it is. We're the members of a dying breed. That's... That's... That's why we gotta stick together. Great, great so, choice. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Haven't seen that, seen or heard of it for a long time. No, people talk, talk about it. Yeah, great, a great ensemble. I'm of recycling things. Yeah, perfect. That's what we do. I know that's what we ask you for. That's a brilliant, brilliant choice. Uh, and 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 you mentioned Summer of Soul as well, which you've seen. So that's a that's a that's a that's a good recommendation for for anyone. What was the first film you ever saw at the cinema? You know, I think it was Lady and the Tramp. Oh, I love that film. The spaghetti scene. Yeah. Yeah, 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 which is a very, I mean, I remember that scene so well. Where, where, so, where would you have seen that? In, in, in Portugal? In Portugal, in Porto, yeah. There was a, a, a cinema called Sala Bebe, Baby Cinema, and it was a tiny cinema. They used to show like this morning uh, animation films for kids. And yeah, I, I I went there. It was <laughs> <laughs> some great tracks in there. There's the the the, the Peggy Lee singing. Uh, the, what the, 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 he's a tramp. What a what a great song that is. And the yeah. cats. We are Siamese, if you please. Great film, Lady the Tramp. Lovely. He's a tramp, but they love him. Breaks a new heart every day. He's a tramp. They adore him. And I only hope he'll stay that way He's a tramp He's a scoundrel He's a rounder He's a cab He's a tramp But I love him Yes, even I have got it pretty bad What about a film that changed your life? That's a hard one, you know, because I... I uh... Every film kind of changed my life when they're good, right? Like, uh, it's, it's um, for example, Summer of Soul changed my life, right? Already? Because I didn't know that story. Yeah. Of course, because <laughs> I didn't know that story. And somehow, you know, just your life changes. Because you feel, you, yeah, your heart yeah. open. And, well, but, documentaries do documentaries do it perhaps more than any other genre, maybe. Totally, totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's real life stories that's, yeah, that's uh, especially when when filmmakers know how to tell a story from the real world in a way that is becomes it becomes universal. And sometimes it's small stories. Sometimes it's just a story of a, a person who I don't know lost their job or mm -hmm. something, something that happens to everyone or not everyone. I'm sorry, but to a lot of people, unfortunately. I do have a film that's kind of changed my view of a cinema, which is, well, Werner Herzog's films changed uh, my view about cinema. For example, Little Dieter Wants to Fly. For example, the, the documentary has about the oil spill, which I do not remember the title. No, me neither. <laughs> but I know what you mean. It's an amazing film. But there is one film that I love very much, and it's not a documentary, although it it is made in real sets and with which is Gummo by Harmony Korean. Wow. Uh, I, yeah. loved, I loved Gummo. I've only seen it once. And I remember too, the shock 
Uh, I can still see it in my head, actually. It was a new thing. Like, I, I didn't know that cinema. And, and so when I saw Gummo, I was like, wow, it's it's because it's so strong. You really see that he's filming in reality with real people, right? And he's like staging with real people. And, and there's a level of authenticity that comes across. And at the same time, the imagination of the film, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely insane. The beginning of the film with that, the kids riding on skates on this hill and the, uh, Linda Mans, the actress, there's an amazing scene where she's putting together some forks and knives and doing uh, like weightlifting <laughs> by the mirror. It's in- I'd forgotten <laughs> that. Lifting weights. I'm lifting. You're gonna stunt your growth with those things. You're gonna get peg leg shoulders and pinch neck nerves. It's not good to lift while you're growing. I can see your shoulder popping out. Look the way it raises and gets smaller. Raises and gets smaller. It's gonna pop out a joint. That's not healthy. Look at it. It's gonna pop. Dad's all taps. He used to be good. Said he was blessed with the gift of tap. Took up tapping when he got his bald spot. He wanted to get transplants, but I thought that was a bit drastic. Told him if he wanted to, he should take up tap. He put up the mirror. He said if Marlena Dietrich could see him dance, she would fall in love. What do you want with Marlena Dietrich? She had a bottom rib surgically removed so she'd have more of an hourglass figure. Don't you know, stars are flawed? Will you smile? Come on, I want to smile. How can that tummy? One smile. Come on, I'm going to tickle you till you smile. Plan that tummy. Hold your shoulders in. You miss your dad? I do. Come on, hold that tummy in. Yeah, what a great choice, Gummo. I, I, you know what, I, I, I might try and see that again because it's so uh, extraordinary, the imagery in that film. Um, if you could go back in time to visit a film set that was being made, which one would, would you go to? I think I'd go to, I mean, many films actually, but uh, you can't. I'm you can very go curious. To I would go to Apocalypse Now. Mm. That's a that's a journey. Yeah, why not? Because you, you're going yeah. to you go to Vietnam for like a year. <laughs> Good choice. I would because I, I find fascinating how that film was made, and I would love to have been there uh, in the critical moments. So, like the the docu- like the Hearts of Darkness documentary. Yeah, exactly. You wish you made that. Is that what you're saying? I wish I had made that. <laughs> that or great. at least produced it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a premiere at Sheffield if you could show that yeah. one. Like, wow, that's a moment. Good choice. Hey, fun, son. Nothing else in the world smells like that. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, one time we had a hail bomb for 12 hours. When it was all over, I walked up. We didn't find one of them, not one stinking big body. Smell. You know that gasoline smell. The whole hill. Smells like victory. 
Have you ever fallen in love at the movies? I haven't fallen in love with a real person on the movies, but I have fallen in love with actors. Like I've spent my life falling in love with with, with movie characters. It's like who, who? <laughs> even animation characters. You know? <laughs> like I used to 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 love animation characters when I was a kid. Who did you love? But, well, I was very much in love with Paul Newman when I was a kid. Fair so, enough. Yeah. Uh, I had a poster in my bedroom, The Colour of Money, you know. You had The Colour of and... Money as your poster. That was when it was <laughs> say you had The Colour of Money. Yeah, I mean, he was. That's not, even se- that's not even sexy Paul Newman. That's old Paul Newman. I know, but I found it so beautiful. I found him really, really beautiful. And, you know, it, I was more, I don't know. I think I was a little bit platonic at that time. But for me, Paul Newman was like... The, still Paul the, Newman, the, the, yeah. Yeah. What about now? Have you got film posters on, on your wall now? I have. It's... A, bit ridiculous but i have the marx brothers duck soup wow. <laughs> well that's not i presume that's uh because of the, uh, the the funny iconography of it not because you, you you're in it's, love with Groucho. i love i love the film not with i'm not in love with marx brothers although they do have a certain charm you know i recognize <laughs> we shouldn't despise that but the the poster is beautiful and i also have the birds a beautiful it's the french poster that they did for the birds with these beautiful drawings is it called les oiseaux yeah it is mm. yeah yeah wow that's yeah. that sounds like a classic one actually that, that poster i don't know that as the french version it's but... it's beautiful it's very beautiful with these blue birds like drawn mm. it's very beautiful but yeah one of the girls who you know fell in love with kevin costner in the bodyguards i must confess oh yeah <laughs> he might save you too <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, it's a generation. It happens. <laughs> What's your favourite location that you've ever seen on screen that you want to get, even go to if you want to? Well, I think I would have loved to visit the, but that's not really a location, is it? The, the, the sets of 2001? Well, yeah. I mean, no, I suppose it's not really. A it's not. Because it's, yeah, they made it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would have loved to go to... Probably, yeah, this sounds a little bit repetitive, but uh, the Fitzcarraldo, yes. the Werner Herzog Fitzcarraldo, I would love to be, yeah, in that opera in Amazonia and to actually visit the, because it's a real place. Absolutely. It's, a, it's an opera in the middle of the jungle. Um, and it looks amazing on the screen. I mean, when you see yeah. it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good choice. Yeah. If you um, could, could could have a favourite screen musical moment or dance number, what would that be? That's a hard one. You know, I, I must confess, maybe this is my documentary side. I was never very much into musicals, except one, actually. There was a Vincent Minelli film for which I was obsessed when I was a kid, which was Gigi. Yeah. I loved that film. I found it very romantic and very dramatic, and I loved the colors of the film, and it had pretty nice uh, musical moments. But yeah, it's not like a genre that I really followed. Mm-hmm. But that sometimes, and... but sometimes musical moments aren't in musicals; they are 
in normal that's films, true. And, they, and people have you know they, they, there's a great you know moment that they they use music to underscore a certain action if you like that's true so a good musical moment uh oh my god there are so many yeah Juliet Lewis in Natural Born Killers singing, for example, is amazing. Yeah. Or uh, David Lynch in Mulholland Drive when, um, oh my God, what's that actress name? Naomi uh, Watts. The, yeah, Naomi Watts uh, singing in that beautiful stage. Yeah. Well, actually, Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks is full of amazing musical moments, uh, and I'm not talking about the second, the the second uh, series because I haven't seen it no, yet. No, me neither. I haven't seen it. But the <laughs> but the first one has amazing moments. So great, good choice. And given that you're about to put a, on a film festival, what's your favorite cinema in the world? What do you mean? Um, do you have a favorite cinema that you've been like to? Like from a country not or wherever you want in the world? It's your favorite, and not not not, not type of cinema, cinema building, actual movie ah, house. cinema building. Ah, well, my favorite cinema doesn't exist anymore. It was destroyed. <laughs> By what? Uh, it was it, it was a cinema that uh, belonged to my family basically, and so it's because uh, my great great my great great grandfather. Um, opened the cinema in his town. Where? Uh, it's a small town near Porto, about 30 kilometers from Porto. It's, it has a hard title, so uh, name, São João de Madeira. So it's it's hard to... But it was a small cinema, beautiful cinema, called Avenida. And when I was a kid, it still existed, and I loved it. And then it was... And you grew up in this cinema almost? A little bit, yeah. My my father grew up there, like, all the time. And then he used to tell me that he had the hero syndrome because <laughs> he grew up watching westerns. So <laughs> but he was behind in the screening room, like Cinema Paradiso. He was like the little kid. He was... Yeah, both. Both. He was jumping from the projection booth to the to the van to the to the chairs. Yeah. So, yeah, that one would be my... The my... Avenida in San Jordan Madeira. Wow. wow, great accent. <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful memory that is. I'm very glad I asked that question. I always think, oh, is that the right question? That's that's a beautiful, beautiful answer. And it's not there anymore. What a shame. Uh, yeah. And was it was uh, it a classic sort of Art Deco cinema or did yeah. it have a... Yeah, yeah, like a, a not very big, but uh, yeah, quite classical with the, the, the second, uh, you know, balcony and uh, this beautiful... And then... Outside, you have these beautiful chairs in woods and this um, flowerish tissue, you know, in the chairs. And so, this is in your blood. Putting on cinema for people is in your blood, Cynthia Gilles. Yeah. So you're doing yeah. it now. So your great, your great, great grandfather would be very proud to know that you are still packing them in and getting bums on seats. Congratulations. It's true. It's true. Lovely to know that. <laughs> listen, you. I'm going to let you go and organise your film festival because uh, people are coming <laughs> to Sheffield. You need to prepare. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been brilliant talking to you. Thank you, Great Jason. stories. Best of luck with the, with the festival. As I say, it's, it's, a, it's almost a, a testing ground for the rest of the festivals coming back to normal. So uh, I'm so glad that you're leading the way. And with such a brilliant film, Summer of Soul, kicking off things on Friday night. Uh, how exciting. <laughs> uh, I, I share your excitement and you shared it with us beautifully today. Thank you, Cynthia Gill. Thank you very much. Marvellous stuff. I loved talking to Cynthia Gilles. I'd never met her before. She's great, isn't she? Really good lineup for her festival, and what a belter. 
Summer of Soul is to start the show off. A European premiere to be proud of as an incredible lineup at the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969 celebrates heritage, blackness and music. Yours is the quest that's just begun Well, when Nina sings, that's just about it for any show. I've just got room to give you Jason's three to see for this week. Going for Gunda, the film about the pig on the farm. Glengarry Glen Ross, the choice of my guest, Cynthia Gilles. And After Love by Aleem Khan, the lovely man you heard there with that great uh, Joanna Scanlon performance in it. Of course, Summer of Soul is going to remain my summer jam for months. Look out for any previews you can of that. Meanwhile, I'm off with my family to see In the Heights, the new musical from Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda, dancing and rapping in the streets of New York. I'll tell you more about it next week. See ya. What does Juanito mean? Suenito? It means little dream. That's it? No story? All right, all right, everybody sit down, sit down. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. In a barrio called Washington Heights, the streets were made of music.